This is America with Rich Valdez, powered by PolitiWeek.com. And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You worked for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, done a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with the nation. The nation. This is America with your host, Rich Valdez. What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. And we're going to get into this right here because the Democrats seem to have created a number of problems. And I know if you're listening to this, you're thinking, oh, come on, Rich, you're always beating up on the Democrats. It's not like the Republicans are saints. No, they're not. But it's not like any of us are saints when we're walking down the street, right? Everybody does something. But not everybody's a murderer. Not everybody is is doing the absolute worst you can do. And lamentably, when it comes to politics, when it comes to policymaking, when it comes to making bad choices, yes, the Democrats are leading the pack. Joe Biden's got a disapproval rating that is the highest ever, right? Uh, he's 80 years old. And the new CNBC survey that was released on Wednesday shows that the president received the lowest marks for his handling of the economy, uh, which is... Um, 68% disapproval on the economy and 69% uh, disapproval on the foreign policy decisions. So just think of that. 68, 68% disapproval on the economy, 69% disapproval on foreign policy. And an overall 58% disapproval rating, it's his record high. And it comes to me, I mean, obviously, right? I mean, when you look at everything that's going on, we have uh, crime problems, right? We like to call it social justice. And I say, look, we got to bring back bounty hunters, right? The first thing they did before they eliminated cash bail and stopped prosecuting criminals, the uh, pro-crime progressive prosecutors that like to coddle criminals, what they did was they got rid of bounty hunters because they knew they were eventually getting rid of bail, cash bail. Eliminating them was the first step that the progressives took to decriminalize crime in New Jersey and then in other states. It followed suit. So I say we've got to restore cash bail and we, we the people, we must have prosecutors that will charge criminals with the same energy that they use to prosecute Trump. Isn't it something how they'll come after Trump every which way that they can? They put a gag order on him. He says a few things about the attorney general being on a witch hunt to get him. And now they're saying, look, you keep talking, you're going to end up in jail. Absolute insanity to me. I mean, if you can't defend yourself when you're in court, where can you defend yourself? Right. It's like it's almost like he's got to shut up and let his attorneys do all the talking. That's fine in the courtroom. But outside the courtroom, he should have free speech rights. Right. The courtroom, the courtroom is the public square. Last I checked. Right. Standing outside. That's that's. America. You're allowed to have free speech in America. But this is the approach that they take. Now, we also see the uh, drama that's going on on Capitol Hill, and we're going to get to that in a moment. But the border, the border is another thing that's just out of control, out of control, the border. Now, what I, what I think is mostly problematic at the border that we seem to lose uh, sense of or we lose track of is the fact that there really is a massive human smuggling operation being led by Joe Biden, or at least being sanctioned by Joe Biden and the U.S. government. This is huge. You got little kids coming in, all these unaccompanied minors. When they say they lost 85,000 kids, they didn't lose these kids. These kids are out in the States working. 
in factories, doing all sorts of things. Not too long ago, we were um, doing the live radio show, and my uh, producer tells me, oh, there's a story about a kid that got his hand caught in a machine. And I said, oh, my gosh, there's a kid that got his hand stuck in the machine. Where? And he says, at a chicken plant. And it's one of those things where they mechanically separate chicken parts. And I said, I bet you anything, the kid's an illegal alien. He's got no parents because he came here by himself as part of a of a trafficked um, deal to to have, you know, cheap labor. And he researches this about the poultry plant. And then voila, what do you find out? It's exactly that. It's exactly what we were talking about. So, I mean, this is very, very problematic in my view. And it doesn't stop there. There's other stories like this. I just got one in my email, opening it up now. Listen to this. This is coming from NBC News. Federal agents found more than two dozen miners working in Ohio at a poultry plant. The date on this, October 20th, 6.51 p.m. Federal agents found more than two dozen miners illegally working inside a poultry plant in Kidron, Ohio, earlier this month, according to local immigration advocates who spoke to NBC News on the condition of anonymity. The children, mainly from Guatemala, according to the advocates, were working in the meat processing and sanitation plant run by Gerber's Poultry, which produces uh, Amish farm chicken advertised with the slogan, Better Feed, Better Taste. Marisa Darden, a lawyer representing Gerber, had no comment when she was asked about the miners working at the plant. She told NBC News, we don't have any comment at this time. We are cooperating. We just can't talk about it. Oh, of course not. There's a photo here of one of these kids. This kid looks like he's wearing a Halloween costume. That's how little this kid is. He's wearing like a rubber suit with with uh, gloves that go up to his elbows and a big pair of rubber boots. And he's working in this factory. I mean, this is crazy. So Homeland Security investigators and the FBI surrounded the plant early in the evening of October 4th and shut down traffic in and out of the plant. NBC News spoke to a current employee who didn't want to be named because he was not authorized to speak to the media. Who was at the plant uh, at the night that the raid took place with the FBI? And uh, the worker said that agents arrived around 9 p.m. and asked employees for ID, asked about the plant sanitation and stayed in the plant most of the night. The agents began organizing large groups of workers into lines, according uh, to a video that was posted on TikTok. Anyway, uh, ICE was there as part of the raid. FBI was there, local police. And agents took photos of the workers and asked them why they were there. Show me your documents, blah, blah, blah. And they spoke in English and Spanish. And they found out, found out that most of these kids were indigenous to Guatemala. Now, and again, uh, this I'll put this on my social media if you want to take a look at it. But the bottom line here is that there is a massive problem. This is only what we see in the media. This doesn't mean it's not happening. Guess what? The little boys are going to poultry plants or whatever job they get that's manual labor in the overnight shift where nobody will see them. Where do you think the little girls go? I'm not making this stuff up. We've got to wake up and realize that there are people that are perverting children for sex trafficking. There are people perverting children and abusing these children for cheap labor. And guess what? You think the president of the United States, Joe El Baboso Biden, doesn't know what's going on? Of course he knows what's going on. He's turning a blind eye because he's either getting a, a, a kickback on the deal from the cartels that run the smuggling operation. Either way, he's sanctioning this. He's allowing this to happen. Him and Alejandro Mayorkas, the Department of Homeland Security secretary. And that is what we should be impeaching him over. That's what should be on the news every day. We should be talking about how this is happening and happening and happening and happening again. And yet Joe Biden's doing nothing to stop it. In fact, in my opinion, Joe Biden's done nothing to 
exacerbate this and help it to happen, right? He's helping each and every one of the occurrences that occurs. Why? Because he's allowing the border to be open. He's allowing these kids to come in. He's allowing um, the Department of uh, HHS, Health and Human Services, to lose 85,000 kids and say, well, we, we, you know, administrative error. We don't know where they are. They were in detention, but now they're not. No, they didn't lose anybody. This is part of the deal. Biden's made a deal. I don't know the, the details of the deal. Nobody's that dumb. Nobody makes these kinds of mistakes. You don't lose 85,000 kids. You don't believe me? Google it and find out. Read the stories. This happened. There was congressional testimony over it. It's a real thing, and it's really happening. And all you got to do is spend a little time on your favorite search engine looking for you know minors working at night, getting caught in raids, getting killed, getting injured. Absolutely atrocious, absolutely horrible. Now you move on to that, and we've got uh, other crazies that want to jump right into the classroom where your kids are, whether it's kindergarten, second grade, fifth grade, eighth grade, what, you name it. They want to get in there. They want to teach them the most important thing they need to learn. No, not the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. No, you, you have to learn about gender. You have to figure out if your gender is fluid. You have to figure out in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, if you like boys or you like girls. The only thing that I knew at that age was how to play with G.I. Joe and make, you know, toy guns and bang, bang, pew, pew, pow, pow, right? That's really all I did. I was into monster trucks, wrestling, that, that, things kids do. But no, not today. And we're going to get to that in, in a subsequent uh, segment. I also want to talk about what's going on on Capitol Hill. All right, we've got uh, Jim Jordan, who was uh, positioned himself for speaker after, ski, uh, I can't talk today, Steve Scalise had uh, put himself up for speaker and did not get the amount of votes needed to become speaker. So now we have it. Now, Jordan tries first attempt, gets 200 votes. Second attempt, gets similar amount of votes, uh, maybe 198 or something like that. And he keeps going. And then he says, you know, I might be willing to, to endorse somebody else. And then he comes back and says, you know, look, I'm not doing it. I'm going to keep going. The American people deserve a speaker. Then you've got Rep. Uh, Matt Gates. He was outside Capitol Hill on Friday saying that we're willing to accept censure, uh, even suspension, if it means that Jim Jordan becomes speaker. Because he's saying, you know what, it's the job of Congress to make sure that we do our jobs. And this game that people are playing to um, to just hold whatever grievance they have, to be beholden to former speakers like John Boehner, to be beholden to former speakers like Kevin McCarthy. So now they're holding out and they're nominating any, anybody, Mickey Mouse, doesn't matter who they nominate, as long as they don't vote for Jim Jordan. Realizing that they're slowing down the, the people's business, they're slowing down the, the business of the House of Representatives, they don't care. And listen, I get it. That's their prerogative. They can do that. But how long do you do it? How long do you posture? How long do you grandstand until you realize, listen, we got to move forward. Now, listen, I, I understand that there's politics at play. I understand at first it was going to be Jordan. Then it was going to be Scalise. Now it's back to Jordan. Now they're back and forth. Now the moderates in the middle say they, they want to go with Patrick McHenry and give him more power. Scholars from all over the place are saying you can't just change the rules. You can't just uh, give somebody that doesn't have any constitutional authority because he's an acting speaker. So he can hammer in, gavel in, and gavel out of, of, of different committee sessions. They can still debate, but they can't hold votes. They can't move forward. They can't create new legislation because they don't have a speaker. And that's the way it's supposed to be. You're supposed to have a speaker. So listen, I get it. I understand that the process is sloppy. But 
Um, there was a, a clip of audio that we had that I wanted to play for you. And uh, let me see if I can get to it. Uh, no, not yet. We'll get to that in a little bit, maybe in uh, segment number four about Joe Biden, because Joe Biden's been caught in some hot water today. There's a direct um, correlation between a bribe and Joe Biden directly. And uh, that's just coming out on Friday afternoon. So we're going to get to that. We're also going to hear about what's going on with uh, the attack on your kids, plus a very in-depth conversation with Dr. Zudi Josser. He was on my radio show, and I want to play you the, the clip that we have from him. It was a very fascinating interview. He's uh, in charge of the American uh, Center for Is- uh, Islamic Center for American Democracy. I hope I said that right. And uh, enlightening interview. You're going to hear a lot about what's going on with Hamas, what Hamas is all about, and why they're going after the Israelis. So anyway, keep it locked right here. Don't move a muscle. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America. Named one of the best personal finance podcasts, The Stacking Benjamin Show with Joe and his friends makes financial literacy fun. I got an email today from the LenPenzo.com HR department. I find oh. it really interesting. I'm an employee of one at this company, so but somebody from the HR department sent me an email telling me that I had a raise. If I just opened the attachment, I could see how much my raise was. Make sure you click on the links that are in there, too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait. This is I'm excited. Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right. Going away, gone, as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to. Be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening, wherever you listen. This is America. He's brown, he's bald, and he's breaking it down. Oh, he's so handsome. What's his name? Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez here with you. And um, I want to thank you for listening to the podcast. This is America and sharing it with your peoples. This is the short podcast. This one's only about a half hour, 40 minutes max usually. And uh, we talk about a couple of highlights that happened in the last week or two to bring you up to speed on things. Really don't bring guests too often onto this program. But if I did a guest interview on my daytime or I should say nighttime radio show, uh, then sometimes I'll bring in a couple of clips of that so you can hear that if I think it's a really uh, worthwhile long-form interview. And we're going to do that today with Dr. Zudi Josser coming up in a little bit. But first, I want to talk about the news today that Joe Biden's been caught with his hand in the cookie jar. Representative James Comer, he's a congressman that uh, from Kentucky that is uh, chairing the Oversight Committee, says that they have found a $200,000 direct payment to Joe Biden. Listen to this. This summer, Joe Biden said, where's the money? Well, we found some. We're still digging into the evidence subpoenaed from bank accounts belonging to Hunter Biden, the son of President Joe Biden, and James and Sarah Biden, the brother and sister-in-law of the president. A document that we're releasing today raises new questions about how President Biden personally benefited from his family's shady influence peddling of his last name and their access to him. Bank records obtained by the House Committee on Oversight have revealed a $200,000 direct payment from James and Sarah Biden to Joe Biden in the form of a personal check. Here's some important context about this check we've obtained in our investigation. In 2018, James Biden received $600,000 in loans from AmeriCorps, a financially distressed and failing rural hospital operator. 
According to bankruptcy court documents, James Biden received these loans, quote, based upon representations that his last name, Biden, could open doors and that he could obtain a large investment from the Middle East based on his political connections, end quote. On March 1st, 2018, AmeriCorps wired a $200,000 loan into James and Sarah Biden's personal bank account, not their business bank account. And then on the very same day, James Biden wrote a $200,000 check from this same personal bank account to Joe Biden. James Biden wrote this check to Joe Biden as a, quote, loan repayment. AmeriCorps, a distressed company, loaned money to James Biden, who then sent it to Joe Biden. Even if this was a personal loan repayment, it's still troubling that Joe Biden's ability to be paid back by his brother depended on the success of his family's shady financial dealings. Some immediate questions President Biden must answer for the American people. Does he have documents proving he lent such a large sum of money to his brother? And what were the terms of such financial agreement? Did he have similar financial agreements with other family members that led them to make similar large payments to him? And did he know that the same day James Biden wrote him a check for $200,000, James Biden had just received a loan for the exact same amount from business dealings with a company that was in financial distress and failing? The House Oversight Committee will soon announce our next investigative actions and continue to follow the money. The bank records don't end here. There's more to come. So Comer's raising questions about $200,000 in a direct payment from James Biden to Joe Biden back in 2018, as you just heard. Coma has now, uh, Comer has now subpoenaed the personal bank records belonging to Hunter and James Biden. And uh, this looks fishy to me. Uh, back in September, Comer issued three subpoenas for the personal business and bank records belonging to both Hunter and James Biden. Uh, they've been combing through those. And now they've uh, come up with this, that the bank records obtained by the House Committee on Oversight and Accountability have revealed more than two, uh, a $200,000 direct payment from James and Sarah Biden to Joe Biden in the form of a personal check. Comer explains that back in 2018, and this is according to the piece in Fox News, Biden received $600,000 in loans. That's James Biden from AmeriCorps. So, fascinating. James Biden gets some money and then he gives some to Joe Biden. Now, most people say, well, okay, this guy takes a loan. He gets some money. He gives it to Joe. Where's the crime in that? No crime in that in so much as uh, everything else that Comer just explained on how they do these deals. So according to the bankruptcy court documents, James Biden received these loans based on representations that his last name Biden could open doors that he could obtain a large investment from the Middle East based on his political connections. Now, I don't know what type of uh, Middle East deals they're making, but whatever they've done, it's an absolute disaster. The Middle East is on fire right now. And we're going to hear more about Hamas and what they stand for from uh, Zudi Jasser coming up. But let me tell you, this is crazy. Now, in March of 2018, AmeriCorps, uh, they wired $200,000 in a loan to James and Sarah Biden's personal bank account, not their business bank account. And then on the very same day, James Biden wrote that $200,000 check to Joe Biden. AmeriCorps is a distressed company, which is lending money to James Biden, who then sent it to Joe Biden. Now, Comer says that the payments uh, were a personal loan repayment, 
But it's still troubling that Biden's ability to be paid by check and that his brother depended on the success of his family's shady financial dealings is obviously questionable. So some of the immediate questions that President Biden must answer is, does he have documents proving that he lent such a large sum of money to his brother? And what were the terms of their financial arrangement? This is what Comer said uh, just a moment ago, and I agree. Did he have similar arrangements in place with other family members? They've got to look into this because, again, when you're a member of Congress or the president of the United States or vice president, you've got to dot your I's and cross your T's. You can't just go around throwing money around. It's one thing to have money and give money to a family member, lend money to a family member. I think that's fine, Uh, even to your friends, right? It's your money. Do what you want. However, when it's obtained because of something that you leveraged that was entrusted to you by the people— well, I believe that's a crime, and they call that corruption, right? Political corruption, selling influence. So we're going to get to the bottom of this as uh, the House Committee on Oversight and Accountability continues to look into it. But this is definitely troubling, and it's one more thing that's going on in the uh, Biden world, and it doesn't look good. To me, it, it stinks. It stinks, and it's, it's just showing that where there's smoke, there is fire. But I give him the benefit of the doubt. I believe he's innocent until proven guilty. Uh, just this stuff to me, seems like on a daily basis, Joe Biden is proving to to look a lot more guilty than he lets on. Anyway, we're coming up uh, right now with Zudi Jasser. Uh, We're going to hear about Hamas and the the real reason that they exist. I think you're going to be surprised by a lot of this. Don't go anywhere. This is America. The 45th president, Donald Trump, thinks it's an honor to speak with Rich Valdez. Oh, very good. Yeah. an honor. Thanks, Rich. The honor is all yours. Conservative talk with a dash of sofrito. Now, here's Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. And again, thanks for tuning in to the podcast. Uh, This is a short, bite-sized version of what we do on the radio uh, without the callers and uh, sometimes with guests, but usually it's just my commentary. And today I do want to bring in a clip from an interview that I did with Dr. Zudi Jasser. He's he's actually running for Congress in Arizona, but he's a, a U.S. Navy veteran, lieutenant commander. He's a primary care physician. He's a small business owner, and he's an expert on national security in the Middle East. And the president of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, Zudi Jasser, welcome to the program, sir. Oh, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. So I want to, um, first, do you agree that Hamas is not a terrorist organization? Uh, Absolutely not. It is by definition a terrorist organization. Hamas in Arabic is uh, the Islamist movement of Islamism, if you will, which Islamism is the belief that uh, the Constitution is the Quran and the interpretation, uh, be it of Sharia law, there, there is no evidence that any of their clerics have reformed any of the Sharia interpretations that are 12th, 11th century interpretations that call for corporal punishment, that call for misogynistic treatment of women, that they, they, their charter sites a so-called passage of the Prophet Muhammad, which I say so-called because some of us reformers believe it is contrived, but it basically says that to kill the Jews behind every stone that they may hide. And that's part of their charter. So it is a genocidal document. Uh, They are basically cut from the same cloth as uh, the Nazis, and they are committing a pogrom against the Jews, 
now, as we see, uh, because they're doing it in the name of Islam. They're doing it as a uh, act of religious war, and they're part of a larger movement. It's not just about Hamas in the in Gaza. It's about a global Islamist movement where they've allied themselves with every other Islamic supremacist on the planet, be it the Taliban, be it the Khomeinists of Iran that also govern through draconian theocracy. So they've never seen Islamic theocrats that they don't like, and they work with them arm in arm. Dr. Jasser, it's my contention uh, through life experience. I've met uh, many Muslims and fantastic people, never had an issue. And the stuff that I see on TV is nothing like the people I've known and grew up with. I grew up with Palestinians. I grew up with a lot of people. And um, I feel like oftentimes in the public discourse that we have, especially around topics like this when they arise in current events, that ultimately people um, just think that, you know, the Muslims are all bad. They're all out to get us. They all believe these draconian uh, doctrines and and therefore they're they're misled by this information. Um, what do you uh, say to people that just aren't aware? Well, you know, listen, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the comment that you just made, which is that obviously uh, the the people uh, are not necessarily the problem. It's the leadership. It's the interpretation. But at the end of the day, you know, I served in the U.S. Navy for 11 years. I gave back to this country because this country gave me the freedom to practice Islam that no Muslim majority country would ever give me. So as a result, you know, we can't, it's amazing the universities across the country that uh, you see now having demonstrations and other things that are mm-hmm. beyond simply anti-Semitism, but uh, look at Muslims as if they don't have any moral agency, as if somehow, if they're living in an occupation, which never mind is a Hamas occupation, not an Israeli occupation, but if they are living in this prison, so all of a sudden, if you're a prisoner, you lose moral agency, you lose the ability to know right from wrong, and you just become an animal that commits acts of evil against against elderly and children. That doesn't make any sense. So right. at the end of the day, Muslims have a responsibility to reform against the theocrats. If you look at every reform movement in history, whether it was in Europe in the during the Enlightenment, um, there were movements of the laity against the clergy that were doing acts in the name of their religions that were evil. And it's time for Muslims to take ownership of what the Hamases, the Al-Qaeda's, the ISIS's, and the Taliban's of our faith are doing. Something you said, Dr. Jasser, that I thought was um, key, was we must decimate Hamas. Let's uh, unpack that a bit. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that uh, as much as uh, Israel and the West get blamed for for being too harsh. At the end of the day, uh, you know, if you look at major conflicts in history, they've typically ended when one side won with overwhelming force and there had to be a surrender. And uh, ultimately, this is the problem with Hamas, is that not only is their entire construct suicidal, where their end of times eschatology is based on suicide and communal suicide, the only way to defeat that mindset is a decimating military defeat. And unfortunately, uh, that has not happened to them. And now they, they recognize 50 years after the Yom Kippur War, they recognize it by committing a slaughter against the Jewish community. And, you know, this is the problem is that 
uh, we fight wars sometimes with one arm tied behind our back and, and we don't uh, execute them in an appropriate way. As much as we want to avoid that, every humanitarian wants to avoid war. The Jewish state did not declare this war. They were attacked in a surprise attack, which was an intelligence failure, but they ultimately were surprised with that. Uh, I think that the match was lit by the Biden administration sitting in their basement, handing ransom to Iran, uh, turning a blind eye to the distribution of weapons throughout the Middle East from Khomeinist to Hamas and uh, other mechanisms of distribution of Islamist influence. Afghanistan's withdrawal gave Hamas a green light uh, because they basically said, Taliban said, look, we defeated them, we waited them out, and America left with their tail between their legs and even lost soldiers to a terror attack as they were running off the, the, the runway in Kabul. It was just embarrassing. And this is the America now that became a paper tiger to the Islamists and basically told Hamas it was their time to not only uh, execute a war, but also try to create an obstacle in the Abraham Accords that were happening as Saudi Arabia was normalizing relations. So there were a lot of incentives for them to light a match across the Middle East, try to recreate this caliphate of Islamic dominance, because to them, their theology, which never got reformed, is about the world being divided into the land of Islam and the land of war, dotted Islam and dotted Harb in Arabic. And that has never been defeated. And those theocrats need to be defeated internally. And that's what the revolutions were doing. The, the, most strong, the strongest proponents of Israel right now are the women's movements in, in Iran that are saying that the radical Islamists of our government are helping the radical Islamists of Hamas destroy the Palestinian people. That's what they're saying on the streets of Iran right now. Wow. Now, um, I, and I think I agree with that. But I feel like that's a message that's not really out there. Uh, I don't think that, you know, earlier you said this is not an Israeli occupation. It's a Hamas occupation. Um, I feel like this is getting lost in uh, in the legacy media. And and uh, obviously, I think I know why it's <laughs> this is what they do. <laughs> they want to portray the story the way they want to portray it. But ultimately, um, what are your thoughts as to why why they're um, they've become so emboldened? Uh, the women, the feminists in, in Iran. Um, why is it that they can see it and so many others can't? Because they've been living since 1979 under a regime that hits them with sticks if their skirts are showing their ankles. That tortures them. As of last year, we saw Mehsa Hamini, uh, who died because uh, a, a religious police uh, uh, saw her hijab. Her hair cover was not on her head correctly. They, they have the worst uh, uh, prisons in which people are tortured because they uh, uh, question the regime there, question the Islamic authority of what they were doing. And, you know, the women have been leading a, in one of the most potent revolutions since 79. There have been other ones in 2009 and, and uh, in the 90s, but this one really has been the longest lasting and it has, really has them on their heels. And that's why Khomeini a couple of weeks ago met with the head of Hamas and said, this is the end of Israel. They wanted to. They see. They saw Saudi Arabia encroaching to Israel. They saw their their government on its heels. They needed to light the Middle East on fire and uh, create not only a distraction but start to get the Arab street. Now, I will tell you, the hope here mm -hmm. is some of the things. First of all, domestically, we're seeing universities like Harvard, Penn State, and others that 
used to be so arm in arm with the radical Islamists where the Farrakhan type movements of the BLM, which were anti-Semitic working with the Islamists. Now, all of a sudden you're seeing trustees of Harvard and others saying, wait a minute, you guys are basically endorsing the killing of Jews. And the far left universities are starting to question that alliance that many of us told them 20 years ago after 9-11 was a was a crazy alliance. It, it's so crazy. I, 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 you know, jokingly, and it's not a funny thing, but I think to myself, they should listen to talk radio, right? There's a lot of great conversations on talk radio that could really enlighten them. And they seem to be stuck in the ivory tower and they're just so, so lost. So do you, do you feel, I, I mean, I, I'm, I have no crystal ball doc, but I can tell you that I'm, I'm pretty confident that the IDF is going to flatten uh, Gaza, and it's not going to be very pretty in a few days. Uh, do you think that's going to send a message that slows them down, or is this going to embolden those that are par for the course with this cause? Well, the people that it's going to embolden will need to be uh, destroyed, are the enemies of humanity. This is a battle not a, against, it is against an ideology of political Islam, but it's about civilization and versus the uncivilized. And, you know, hopefully the Arab states, especially Egypt, will allow uh, the citizens of Gaza that are not part of the war machinery of Hamas to to come out and and not be uh, victims of this. Uh, Israel has a right to clean out the the uh, machinery of Hamas and the soldiers of Hamas in a war. They're a, a very small state surrounded by 380 million of Arab states that uh, clearly are part of an ideology that's deeply anti-Semitic, and they have a right to protect themselves. Now, in the longer term, I hope that after that defeat, you start to see, just like in the Arab Awakening, I've been calling for this, I've written so many pieces about the need for the Palestinians to have the Arab Awakening that the Syrians had against the Assad regime, that the Egyptians had against Mubarak, and and uh, ultimately against the Muslim Brotherhood. The Egyptians went to the street 18 months after the Brotherhood ran Egypt because they found, and by the way, three times as many, tens of millions. They were talking about demonstrations now for the Palestinians across the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Those were measured, by the way, today in that day of jihad as in the thousands. There were millions in the streets against the Brotherhood in Egypt. And this is the same thing, is that ultimately, yes, it was replaced with a dictatorship, al-Sisi, which was the lesser of evils, but it's still not democracy. But I can tell you, it's like treating cancer. The patients will continue to get sicker until ultimately either they pass or they will come back as, just like after our civil war, we came back as a stronger nation, closer to our values, et cetera. And this is what needs to happen. We can't build these nations from outside. That's not our role. We right. have to defeat the Al-Qaeda's, the Hamas's, the ISIS's, and Israel does as they come up like a whack-a-mole. But then they have, we have to help infiltrate the ideas as part of a strategy. We've not had a long-term strategy internally. They have a strategy. China, Russia, Marxists have a strategy to infiltrate our universities, to infiltrate our society with wokeism and Marxism. We don't have a strategy to infiltrate theirs with liberty and reform, and that's really what needs to happen. All right, we're going to pause right there in our conversation with Dr. Zudi Jasser. He's president of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. And straight ahead, we're going to continue our conversation. Don't move a muscle. This is America. 
This is America. He's making podcasting great again. This is America with Rich Valdez. So we're going into the second week of the murderous attack on Israel by Hamas terrorists uh, stationed in Palestine. And I've got to say, this has been gruesome. It's an absolute horror show where they beheaded children, where they raped teenage girls, where they had abducted and, and kidnapped these elderly people, took them as hostages. They, they're still holding hostages. Over 30 Americans have been killed. Uh, there's others that are being held captive still as we um, conduct this program. And I want to continue my conversation with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Uh, he's uh, an expert on what's going on in the Middle East, and he is the president of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, Dr. Zudi Jasser. How did you get involved in all of this, uh, you know, starting the American Islamic Forum for Democracy? Well, after 9-11, uh, you know, after I had finished my service in uh, 99, joined my father in medical practice here in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and 9-11 uh, happens, and I realized that the uh, dictatorships, the radical Islamists that uh, my family had fled and gotten political asylum for here in America against the Assad regime and all of its cauldron of radicalism there had followed us here. And that ultimately one of my responsibilities as a Muslim living in the lap of freedom was to use the freedoms that I had for not only free speech, but to push back against the ideas, treat the disease rather than the symptoms and treat the cancer rather than you know, the, the symptoms of terrorism. Uh, these groups are simply a symptom of a deeper condition of a reform that needs to happen. And uh, I dedicated myself to building institutions. Uh, we founded a, co a Muslim reform movement that includes 30, 40 different organizations in Europe, Canada, and the U.S. They're all startups. They're all small organizations. Uh, but they're beginning to create the seeds, plant the seeds for institutions that will be based in secular liberal democracy and not based in theocracy, sort of the same thing that Christianity went through in its own uh, reformation uh, through Europe. And that was not a, a bloodless affair. There were, uh, uh, I think, eight, nine million people that died in the 30 years war in in Europe. And ultimately, this is what the West is going to go through, what uh, Islam and the Muslim majority countries are going to go through. And how did you land on making a decision to run for Congress? Well, you know, listen, I, I realize that activists can do only so much that ultimately you can plant seeds, but the, the agenda for the media, the agenda for cultural um, change is based in Washington. It's based in Congress and, and uh, uh, the agenda of the parties. And I realized during the pandemic, you know, my, my day job is as a physician in primary care I saw the politicization and the weaponization of the practice of medicine to shut down businesses. I'm in a small business. I, I have tried to fight against Obamacare and socialized medicine and realized all of a sudden the pandemic uh, doctors in their ivory towers were deciding not only to shut down businesses, demanding that government print money and create inflation, demanding that kids stay home even though they weren't victims of uh, uh, of COVID at all. There was no reason that they missed school. I saw my kids home for two years uh, missing the, the socialization and education mm -hmm. system that they should have been a part of. So between that, the the economy, 
between an open border here in Arizona that I see a sieve that my parents waited to come legally in the asylum, that the, the, the rational legal folks are in the back of the line, and we see fentanyl coming into this country, and radical Islam um, not making any headway in the security arena, I feel that it's sort of the culmination of my work now is to become the antidote to the radicals on the left of Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib that I think are the worst of the representation of our faith community. And uh, it would be nice to have a, a Muslim conservative in Congress that can uh, represent the best of America and, and give back to this country that has given our families so much. Dr. Zudi Jasser, let everybody know that's listening. Uh, we're on uh, on several stations in Arizona. And uh, if anybody out there in Arizona wants to learn more about your campaign or anybody anywhere in the country, um, where do they go and how do they help you? Please go to our website at z4az.com, z-f-o-r-a-z.com. And that's your campaign website where they can learn more about the campaign. Now, if people are interested in the conversation yeah. we've had uh, discussing uh, your views on on Islam and the work that you do at the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. Where do they go for that? The website there is aifdemocracy.org, aifdemocracy, and also the muslimreformmovement.org has other organizations and uh, a coalition there. Well, Dr. Zudi Jasser, I want to thank you. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. Uh, there's amazing work that you're doing. And I want to remind all of you that are listening, this is something that's very important because we need to know what's going on and we have to make sure we know right from wrong. We can see through the disinformation. Last weekend, there was a rocket that hit a hospital and immediately the media, Sky News, uh, the New York Times and others immediately reported that this was the work of the Israeli Defense Forces attacking a hospital. They immediately began to claim that Israel was committing war crimes against the Palestinians. And upon further investigation, it turns out absolutely none of this was true in any way, shape, or form. Instead, it turns out that a, a fraternal terrorist group called Islamic Jihad was firing rockets towards the IDF, one of them went astray and hit the hospital. And uh, later, radio communications between the the two entities, uh, the two people that were, you know, communicating about this misfire on the rocket were intercepted by Israeli intelligence, and they received that audio and reported it to the media. And the New York Times, uh, excuse me, the New York Post um, reported on that, uh, indicating that they'd done that. There was also a video from local news outlets in Israel that were showing the actual rockets coming out of the area near the hospital. And seconds later, you see that one of them hits the hospital. And in fact, this was not something that was incoming from the side where the IDF was, but this was actually friendly fire where they hit the hospital on their own. Now, whether it was a misfire or they intended to do it so they could blame it on the Israelis, either way is despicable and it's wrong. It's so wrong that even Joe El Baboso Biden in his visit to Israel uh, earlier this week, he met with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, and even he addressed it. Now, of course, he says uh, in his tone, his demeanor, in my opinion, it almost seemed like he was sad that it was the other team, as he crassly put it, that did it. But that is what he said. Listen to this. I'm deeply sad and outraged by the uh, explosion at the hospital in Gaza yesterday. 
based on what I've seen in the pyramids, it was done by the other team, not, not you. Oh, my gosh. So we're talking about the other team. It's the other team. I got hairy legs. You ain't black. And all the other crazy things that Joe Ed Bamboso Biden says. Listen, this is why it's so important for us to be informed patriots like Reagan called us to be. This is why it's important for us to stand for something, because if we stand for nothing, we'll fall for anything. And the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people like you to sit there and do nothing. So make sure you know something, make sure you do something, because right now America needs you more than she's ever needed you before. Hasta la próxima. I'm Rich Valdez, and this is America. This is America. The Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. Actor Rain Wilson. The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen.